Heavenly Father, once again, we come into your presence from so many different directions, so many different places, so many different paths. And some folks, uh, we, we come prepared and some folks uh, come just hanging on for dear life. Some are looking for answers, some are still trying to figure out what the questions are. Some of us have, have walked with you for years. Some of us are just beginning that journey. Some of us didn't even know that journey existed. But wherever we are, Father, as we journey together through the Scriptures this morning, may we be drawn to you. May we see Jesus, the living Word, in these written words and that, that these, these letters on a page will be more than just letters on a page. And you will call us to your work, to be your hands and feet, ears and mouth in a world that needs to hear from you. We pray all of this through Jesus Christ our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit which gives us life. Amen. So if you were here last week... Um, we, the last couple of weeks, we've been really, really hitting false teachers. Uh, and, and you know what? We need to do that. We need to be aware that there are false teachers who are calling themselves Christians, going around destroying the flock of God. We need to be aware of that. But the question always has to be, after we deal with all that, the question has to be, so what next? What do I do with this, this information? Do I, do I put together my own little personal inquisition squad and start going around hunting down false teachers and, and you know, drawing and quartering them or tarring and feathering them? I mean, what do we do? Should I start a website where I expose all of their failures? Um, should I create a YouTube channel, a TikTok channel, a Twitch channel? What should I do? I don't know what those last two things are, but I've, my daughter has uttered those words, so I know they exist. Um, you know, the, what, what should we do now that we, we're aware of the reality of false teachers in the world? Because I have to be honest, there are times in my heart and my mind, and also I'm sure in your heart and your mind, where you encounter false teachers, false teaching, and your response is, is anger or, or, or frustration or even violence. I mean, we just, we just sit there and we go, ah! Well, the apostle, or not the apostle, but Pastor Jude, his response to this, I mean, he has pulled no punches, right? I mean, he has called these people shepherds who are eating their flocks. He has, he has uh, called them uh, empty and vapid. He has, he has pointed out that they're just destructive, that they make promises that they can't keep. He's called them twice dead. He's called them uprooted. He says they've abandoned themselves for the sake of Balaam's error. He says they're, they're, they followed the way of Cain. They blaspheme God. They blaspheme each other. They're as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah. They're as bad as angels who abandoned their purpose. So what do we do? And you would think that Jude is going to come the last couple of verses with a barbed wire baseball bat. And instead, he says this in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us a command and he says, first and foremost... Remember, 
And he doesn't say, uh, remember all of your angst. He doesn't say, remember all of our anger. He doesn't say, remember the steps and the rules to deal with false teachers. Instead, he says, remember the prophecies. That's what the predictions are. Remember what the apostles said would happen. Now, this is Jude asserting the authority of the apostles, and that's incredibly important for us because the New Testament is the testimony of the apostles for the church. When we go through our Bible, we have, uh, in the Old Testament, you have three sections. You have the law, the prophets, um, and the writings. And the law, it it reveals to us uh, God and the beginnings of all things. The prophets, they reveal to us the failure of Israel and God's redemptive hand. Uh, the, The writings give us the vocabulary to worship, the vocabulary to lament, the vocabulary to walk. But when we get through the law and the prophets and the writings, and when we get to the New Testament, we encounter the gospel, which tells us who Jesus is, and the epistles, which tell us what that means for us. And you can't have one or the other. You can't say, well, I'm just interested in the red letters. I'm just going to open my Bible. Whatever Jesus said, that's what's important. I don't care about the rest of the Bible. You will fall into heresy and apostasy every single time. Because for one thing, Jesus often, the words that we get from Jesus are him condemning uh, the behavior of people. Uh, We need to know how to live. I mean, not that Jesus doesn't teach uh, how to live, but really what Jesus, the Gospels are about, not about, just about what Jesus said, but what he did. And the apostles, especially the apostle Paul, but all of the authors of the epistles, they then say, this is what Jesus did, what that means for us. The apostle Paul dwells on the resurrection. He talks about uh, the life we have in Christ. He talks about the flesh. He talks about uh, what it means because Jesus died and was buried and raised again and ascended. He says, this is what it means for us. They tell us how to organize the church. They tell us how to live together. So we have to have that message of the apostles. But Jude's first thing is to say, remember the predictions of the apostles. He says, stop. I know you're angry. I know you're upset. I know you're looking at this now. You're looking at these false prophets and you're going, yeah, we should have done something about that. We didn't. What should we do? He says, so stop. Before you do something foolish, before you do something crazy, before you do something that's no better than what the the false teachers have been doing, stop and go back to the apostles. He says, you knew, remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It should not surprise us that there are false teachers in the world. It should not surprise us that there are so-called Christian leaders who all they want to do is consume you. They want to destroy you for their own purposes. Why are we so surprised that sinful human beings would use faith and trust and belief and love that our faith, our trust, our belief in our leaders, that they would take that and abuse it for their own purposes? Human beings have been abusing other human beings for their own purposes since there have been human beings. So why should it surprise us? And yet, so often, we we get surprised by the presence of false teachers and we go, now what do I do? And Jude says, first, remember the predictions of the apostles. 
He says those scoffers, right? Look at how he describes them. He says they are, um, the scoffers, they follow their own ungodly passions. And we've talked about those ungodly passions. The desire to consume those around them, to destroy those around them for their own purposes. He says it is these people who cause divisions. Ah, we don't have a use for the church the church is divided. They're arguing. Look at all these denominations. The church, the church. Yeah, you know, we don't need the church. We can be Christians. There's a new, uh, there's a new term I was just recently exposed to, uh, ex-evangelical. Now, first of all, you can tell it was invented by Christians because what a stupid way to write a word. All right, but ex-evangelicals are people who have left evangelical Christianity because the churches are abusive and out of control. And listen, there are abuses in what the church, it happens. There are false teachers, but they don't represent the cause of Christ. They are the false teachers that Jude is warning us about. He says, so it should not surprise you that these people exist, that they are worldly people consumed with the moment. A worldly person is someone who's only interested in in the desires and passions and fulfillments of this world. My pleasures, devoid of the Spirit. That means they're dead. If they, they don't have the Spirit, Greek word pneuma, they don't have the Spirit, they're dead. So why should it surprise us that there are scoffers floating around taking advantage of Christians, causing divisions so that they can acquire for themselves, consumed with their own passions, and empty of the Spirit of God? By the way, there's a surefire test on somebody who's a false teacher. Um, If they start telling you something that doesn't sound right, look right, and you say, well, where is that in the Bible and they pull some obscure, weird passage that they're the only people that have ever read that, just go ahead and chalk it down as false teaching. I was like, well, I mean, Lamentations, this is is one of those things, all right? It happens. Um, One of the, one of the beliefs, uh, one of the beliefs that floats out there, and I just give you one of the illustrations, one of the beliefs that floats out there is the idea that when you die, um, there's extremes, right? Some people say, well, you die and you just, you just go to sleep and you sleep until the resurrection. And when you're, you're raised from the resurrection, God judges everybody. And some of you, some of you are just destroyed and some of you get to go and be in heaven. This is a particularly a Jehovah's witness view, but it's not only the Jehovah's witnesses that believe it. Where does that idea come from? It comes from misinterpreting one verse in the book of Ecclesiastes and then reinterpreting the entire Bible based on that verse. And at that moment, you should just be going, wait, if something like that is, wouldn't you think that something like what happens to me after I die, there would be a pretty clear teaching in Scripture. I shouldn't have to go to an obscure book that most of us couldn't even find without the table of contents to get the actual reference to this very important thing. And usually if you're dealing with somebody that presents as well, it's because you don't have spiritual insight. It's because you, you don't know the Bible well enough. I mean, I know the Bible really well. You don't know the Bible. Re- Just trust me. I know it looks obscure, but, you know, you need to listen to me and give me your money. <laughs> we need to be, when we're confronted with false teaching, he says, remember. He says, remember the reality that this is the truth. 
Human beings will corrupt and destroy. They want to do it. Now, not all human beings, but there are people there who will do it. And so we have to have a critical eye. We have to be aware. We have to study the scriptures. We need to, uh, and every once in a while, we need to reset ourselves to the authority of the apostles. We need to be aware that at times we get so into the mix, whether it's dealing with false teachers or it's, it's dealing with all the, the minutia and all the, all the stuff that's going on, sometimes we just need to step back and remember the, what the apostles had to say. We need to step back and read the scriptures. Now, now you guys know that I'm not afraid to just go, nah, we're just going to stop doing this. And we're going to figure out what God wants us to do. We all need to be aware of the reality that that it is very easy for us to get so busy being Christians, whether we're following false teachers or not, it's so easy for us to be so busy doing the Christian thing or following whatever we're listening to. It's so easy to do that we forget who is actually the authority over us. So we can't be afraid to get back to the basics. We can't be afraid to be aware of the realities of the world. It's so easy for us to lose sight of some of the foundational principles of following Christ and, and reading the Word of God. And, and, and this is, I, I'm going to speak from my point of view as a pastor. It's very easy for pastors to forget that they don't know everything. It is very easy for people to go, for, for leaders and teachers to think that, hey, I, I've got it all figured out, and we become the authority for ourselves. And Jude says, be careful, there be dragons. Hoc est draconis. You, you've got to be you've got to be aware of that. You've got to be aware that sometimes we just have to go back to code. We have to just go back to the apostles. We just need to inundate ourselves with the teachings of scriptures for no purpose, no reason other than to hear the voice of the apostles as they speak about Jesus. Uh, years ago, a friend of mine became a pastor, and he was so excited. We were sitting, we were talking. I was really young. I was like 22, 23 years old. I was just out of college, and he was older than me, and he got, became a pastor, and, he, and we were talking about the Bible. He's like, yeah. He said, since I've become a pastor, I've just gone through the Bible and just seeing sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. And I'm like, as a pastor, I'm going, wow, if that's all now, I mean, looking back. When I was young, I was just like, that was cool. All right, but now, looking back, I'm like, wow, we should never be going to the Bible going sermon, sermon, sermon. We should be in the Scriptures. My dad used to say, the way you, write a sermon, the way you preach and write a sermon is that you just study the Bible until it overflows and people get to hear what's bubbling over the edges. We can't be afraid to get back to the basics, to get back to the teachings of the apostles. Well, you know, apostles, they lived in the first century. They didn't deal with the pressures that we deal with. I mean, just the stress of putting together a lighting system. So ridiculous. You know, just having to deal with where do we get those little self-contained communion cups for the rest of COVID. He says, now go back to the basics. 
Go back to what the apostles said. Separate yourself a little bit from the situation and be aware that God knew this was happening. He knew it was going on and he gave us some checks and balances. So the first command that he gives, he says, remember. Remember. You must remember. But then in verse 20, he says, but you, beloved... All right, so he's dealt with the scoffers. He said the apostles, the apostles addressed this. We knew the scoffers were coming. But now you, the beloved, you, the believers. Now, Jude says, I have some advice for you. Once you've gone back to the basics, once you've stepped away from your situation and inundated yourself with the scriptures, now I've got some direction for you. And he gives us first two Greek participles. They kind of set the condition of the next command he's going to give. The first one is, he says, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. Now, what does building ourselves up in the most holy faith mean? It means getting into the scriptures as a community, not just as individuals sitting in our little private places reading the Bible and going, ah, yes, 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 this is true. But as a community, getting into the scriptures, talking about it, connecting with them and building yourselves up building one another up and building yourself up. When you're building yourself up so much that you're outstripping everybody else, that's a problem. Now listen, I'm very aware of the potential for this when you're like an ultra nerd like me. You know, oh, doctorate programs, master's degrees, you know, more degrees than the thermometer, all of those things. Being aware that you can't just keep filling yourself up, you can't just keep building yourself up if it can't be turned into something practical, if it can't be, if it can't be said in a sermon, because it's too esoteric, people would never understand, right? And, and I've, I've encountered people, they're like, how do you, you know, I'm going through this program, right? I just, my, my doctoral program, and, and I had, uh, I, I mentioned one of the series we did. I think it was either uh, Chronicles or uh, Ecclesiastes. I can't, you know how, I, I, I'm all over the place. It might have been Revelation. And, and we were talking about it, and they said, they said, well, how on earth did you teach that? Like, you taught it on, in church? On Sunday? You can't do that. Like, why can't we do that? Why can't we get into the book of Revelation? And if you were here when we studied the book of Revelation, half the time I went, I don't know what this means. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus is coming back. The details are fuzzy. Let's just move on. I mean, so, I mean, and people are like, well, you can't preach that. I mean, on Sunday morning, you've got to give people easy to digest things. You, you, you can't give people big ideas because people don't process big ideas. First of all, wow, that's insulting to your congregation. But secondly, it's like if you're not, if you don't have the ability to take what you, you learn from the scriptures and turn it into something that, that ministers to people, you're not building people up. He says, so you've got to build yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Now look at the contrast of those two phrases in comparison to the false teachers. 
The answer to false teachers, by the way, is not that you get good charismatic, you know, so you get false charismatic, pre- not the denomination or something, but false charismatic preachers who are very persuasive and very good. So our answer should be have, have uh, uh, superior uh, teachers who also, do. the answer that he gives us is not, well, we meet this, this group of false teachers with, with better teachers. The answer is that we, the church, build ourselves up in faith and we pray in the Holy Spirit because they are trying to destroy the church of God. They are trying to eat the sheep. They are making empty promises. And so the answer isn't to have a better clergy. The answer is to have a better church. For you as believers to be building up one another in the Scriptures. For you as believers to be praying in the Spirit. So that when someone comes in teaching that is devoid of the Spirit, guess what? When you're, when you're praying in the Spirit and somebody comes in who is devoid of the Spirit, guess what? You immediately see it. You don't need me to come down the road and going, as the preacher, I just want to warn you about so and so. But because you are filled with the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, and you're active, and you're engaged in your faith, and you're not sitting around, I sure hope Eric addresses this on Sunday because I don't have an answer. But rather, we're encouraging one another, and strengthening one another, building one another up, and praying in the Holy Spirit. And those two participles, those are the setup for the command. The command is, keep yourselves, plural, in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. The word keep, it means to guard, to protect, to strengthen, to, to, um, to secure. You, you want to you avoid false teachers influencing the church You better secure the church. You better seal the church. You better build up the church in in the faith. You better be praying in the Holy Spirit. You can't be sitting around waiting for the super pastor to come along and fix all the problems in your life. You as believers, you as the church, you have to be building up one another. You have to be praying together in the Spirit. You've got to be connected. And praying together in the Spirit, this is a total side tangent, jump out of the sermon for a second. Praying in the Holy Spirit does not mean sharing a list of all the sick relatives that you have. That's not praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit is is seeking the will of God. As you pray, as you commune with the Word of God, and the Word of God that the Spirit speaks, that the Spirit inspired, as it charges you, and you go, wow, this says says that, that children should honor their parents, right? I mean, the most popular verse in the world with kids, right? Um, children should honor your parents. So rather than reading that and going, yes, and those bad parents in the church that children disobey, but rather because the Spirit said it, getting on your hands and knees before God and praying for the parents, you know that they will be encouraged and they will be lifted up and they will know the wisdom of God. It means those of you who managed to raise kids and survived raising children, you're getting along with those, those younger parents who are struggling and you say, I know what you're going through. It means that when you're dealing with a parent whose child has come out in some kind of deviant sexual behavior and you don't know what, they don't know what to do and you've been there, you've walked there, you've dealt with that, you don't just sit there and go, man, I hope they handle that. But because the Spirit of God says to honor parents, you, you go alongside them. 
It means that when you're in the church and somebody's having financial problems and struggles because they can't budget, you don't sit there and go, oh, somebody should have learned. But as the scriptures speak to us about being stewards of what God entrusts us, we, we're on our hands and knees praying for them. And we're, we're coming alongside them and offering, can I help you? Can I show you how to do this? Can I lead you in this process? Praying in the Spirit is when you study the Scriptures and you build one another up in the Holy Faith. And the Scriptures speak. The Holy Spirit speaks. It's like I'm sitting around waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak. He has spoken. So you need to hear Him. And then you need to pray what He prays. When the Bible says that He would, when Paul says that He would have the, the church, all men in the church pray with hands lifted up, praying for the leaders of their world. And we go, well, I'm not going to pray for the guy that's in the White House now because he's not a part of my political party. That's a violation of Scripture. I don't know if you realize that. We are called to pray for those in power. You go, but I don't like them. Well, if we're only praying for people that I like, I'm only praying for myself. We have to pray. We're praying in the Spirit. We've got to be connected. You say, well, I don't know what to pray. Pray this. Pray this. You say, well, well, what do you mean pray this? I mean sometimes you just get, you just sit down and you just bow your head and you just sit there and read the scriptures back to God. He already knows how they go, but you need to hear those words. You need to let God speak into you through you. He says, pray. Build yourselves up. Keep yourself in the love of God. Well, oh, that's great. So we're just, we're just supposed to protect ourselves. That's where it stops, right? Keep yourselves in the love of God. Secure yourselves in the love of God. Wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And that's where Jude stops, right? No. That's not where he stops. Command, keep yourself. And then in verse 2, have mercy on those who doubt. Have mercy. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear. Not hating the false teacher, but hating the garment stained by the flesh. We, we are commanded to have mercy. And that's hard. It's hard to have mercy on those who doubt. It's it's hard to go through life looking around you going, why doesn't so-and-so get it? And then repenting of that attitude and doing what you can to serve and love. I I am an ultra, ultra, I don't know if you guys know this, an ultra expressive person. Um, in fact, in our elders meeting last Sunday, uh, one of the guys, and I don't remember which one, had said, I, I was trying to say, I know that sometimes I'm a little, and I was trying to look for a word, and one of the guys said, unfiltered. <laughs> it's an accurate statement. 
I just believe that I should be the same person here that I am in my house, that I am on a mountain, that I am in a restaurant, as I am in your house. And so that means sometimes the things that I express, people are like, oh, Eric is you know, mad or sad or angry or, you know, fill out the blank. And they're like, we got to, you know, the reality is I'm going to tell you what I think. That doesn't mean that that I I, I necessarily, I I, I hate you or I reject you or anything. And I'm also Italian, so I have two settings, eating and loud. (laughs) Right? So, so, you know, it's like, you know, I, I get into this and people are like, oh, when, when sometimes when we're showing mercy, we, we get out there and we, we get in and we want things to be done a certain way. We think people should live their certain life and, and we're all entitled to our opinion. But then once it gets out there, we still have to have mercy. We have to recognize that people are coming from different places. People are coming from different journeys and different walks. And, and we, we have to, mercy is when I take myself out of the center of a conversation. My, my righteousness, my behavior, my ideas, my thoughts. I take myself out of the center of the conversation. I put Christ into the center of the conversation. And I say, and how would he speak to this situation? That's showing mercy. It doesn't mean that we don't address error. It doesn't mean that we don't call false teachers false teachers. It doesn't mean that we just let anything go. It also doesn't mean that we just walk around with no consequences for anything we say. We take ourselves out of the center of the conversation. We put Jesus into the middle of the conversation. And we ask ourselves, how would he address it? Because Jesus is the personification, the incarnation of God's mercy. Because when we show mercy, we save others by snatching them out of the fire. What does that mean? Snatching them out of the fire. It means that they're so close to destruction that your words of compassion may keep them from being consumed. That that when somebody is in error, our answer sometimes to to dealing with that is, is to speak in mercy and snatch them out of the flames. To save them. Save others. And then he says, in case you were wondering, to show mercy with fear. He brings it back up again. He says, mercy. What is mercy? Mercy is not letting people get away with following false teachers because you don't want to offend them. Sometimes mercy is offensive. Don't believe me? Your child is running toward the edge of a dam. And you being a compassionate parent, as that child runs by you and you know where they are going, you reach out your arm and you grab that child as hard as you possibly can to prevent them from going over the edge of that dam. And your kid goes, Ow, Dad, you're hurting me! No, I have snatched you because I show mercy. You say, can mercy hurt people? Yes! 
can, when you're addressing false doctrine, when you're addressing apostasy in the church, does it hurt people? Yes. When you're talking to a person who's not a believer about what it means to follow Christ, and you're saying, look, as a follower of Christ, we, we choose to serve Him as our Lord and Master. It means we have to give up some things. We have to surrender our desires. We've got to put Him in the center of our lives. And they go, well, well, what about fill in the blank? Will Jesus make me give that up? Well, first of all, if you ask that question, the answer is probably yes. Because <laughs> that thing is probably a God to you. And Jesus has this thing about idols and gods before Him. We get to choose in our confrontation with false prophets, false speakers, false doctrine. We must choose whether we will answer their consumption with unnecessary conflict or we will meet it with compassion on the ground level. Why, oh why, oh why do liberals own grassroots movements? Why is it that every grassroots movement I hear about is about some liberal agenda? Why, oh why, oh why aren't Christians winning the world one person at a time? Rather than hoping that some program or some, some event or some thing, some big hoopla will get people to come to Jesus, why, oh why, oh why aren't we showing mercy and compassion and love in the face of opposition and false teaching one person at a time? You want to stop. Uh, I'm about to walk into dangerous territory. <laughs> you want to stop the needless slaughter of the unborn. The answer is not to get the government to pass a law. The answer is one mother at a time. One child at a time. One love, one mercy, one act of compassion at a time. You say, I want kids to be saved from the confusion of this world. We need to have legislation that supports the sanctity of marriage. The government has not and will not ever define what marriage is. You can address that one person at a time. You are called... You are equipped. You need to be built up. You need to pray one person at a time. You say, I don't know. I'm not going to have the answers. The answer is compassion and mercy of the, those of us who devote yourself to being built up in the Scriptures and praying in the Spirit and letting God break your heart for those who are lost. The answer is not building programs and events and, and, and 12 steps and all these things. The answer is you, one person at a time, changing not the whole world, just their world. You want to deal with false teachers in the church? 
you minister the gospel one person at a time. You want to see people redeemed from a society that worships sin? You do it one person at a time. One compassion, one mercy, one snatching someone from the the fire, one confrontation, loving and compassionate and merciful, one person at a time. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Right now in the hearts and minds of your people, Jesus, I just have a feeling that there is one person coming to mind in folks' hearts, folks' minds, their thoughts eye, their eye, their thoughts eye. Lord, help us to hold on to that one relationship. To go back to code, get into the scriptures, and be able to minister mercy to that one person. Maybe it's somebody who's different than us. Maybe it's somebody that's opposed us. Somebody that's fought us. Maybe it's somebody that just does something we don't like. Father, help us to completely immerse that relationship in your word and prayer in your spirit so that we can pour out mercy and compassion and see you work in their lives.